This morning, I want to speak to you once more about uh, some of the most blessed things concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ, and especially in a day like we live in, and in all the things we're seeing all about us concerning Israel, the church, the world, all of the different things that uh, point to the coming of Christ within a short time. Uh, there's so much to be said uh, about it that it would be difficult for me naturally. I would like to speak to you for hours on this subject. Uh, and as I've mentioned once before, I didn't know our, a wonderful brother in the Lord, Dr. I. M. Holderman, of the First Baptist Church in New York City. I only know him by his writings. I never met him. But he preached back around 1900 to 1920-some-odd. Been a preacher there for about 50 years. And at 87 years of age, he preached on the second coming of Christ. And after he had preached for one hour, he said to the people, I have so much more to say. And they all cried out, and there were 1,700 in those days in First Baptist, go on. And then he said, an hour and a half, he said, I'm not finished yet. And they said, go on. And for two hours at 87, he preached on the second coming of Jesus Christ, and that following week, the Lord took him to glory. But uh, how blessed is this theme of the second coming of our Savior, how precious it should be to us. You know, there's so much in the world that's surrounding us at the present time that points to it. And, uh, of course, as Christians who know Christ, and if you don't know him this morning, I pray that before you leave you'll really know him. I'm not talking about anybody being a Baptist now or being a Presbyterian or Methodist or Lutheran or Catholic or anything else. I'm talking about real Christians. Christians are not the people who walk in churches, as blessed as that is to go to church. But Christians are those who have been born of the Spirit of God and are the temples of the Holy Ghost and have the Spirit of God dwelling in them. They have received Christ as their personal Savior, they have acknowledged themselves as sinners. They know it. No one has to tell them. Anybody here knows they're a sinner. If the imaginations of your hearts in one day's schedule were ever placed on a screen for everybody to look at, as I've said so often, husbands would run from wives and wives from husbands. There'd be no family life. There'd be nothing. For all of us are sinners, and God looks upon the heart. And he knows the thoughts of our hearts. And so we all stand in this position of the need of redemption, this need of salvation. Now the true church, the church of Jesus Christ, should be very conscious of the coming of our Savior. They should be very conscious of these last days. History is being written which God wrote long before time. 
history as man writes it today in newspapers and articles and what is happening in the world has all been written before time. Yet it uh, is not obvious to a world that is without God and without Christ and cares not for the word of God or the church that doesn't really believe that the new birth is necessary, believes that all you have to do is sprinkle a baby or something and this makes them a Christian, some idea that some rite of the church that we might practice, even as Baptists, would make people Christian. But I can assure you that our baptism is no better than any other baptism unless the heart is converted to Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with any rite or ritual of the church. But we should recognize that the coming of the Lord Jesus is nigh. May I say this just quickly? If Russia and the Arab world could defeat and annihilate Israel, then the word of God and our God is a liar. Let's make that clear. If Russia and the Arab world could annihilate Israel, and they have said this, just this week, I believe that it was made very clear by President Bergonin of Russia in his speech at the dedication of the great Ashwan Dam now that Russia is behind the Arab world and that Israel must give back all the land they've taken. Now, nothing can be clearer than that, you see. This is what their edict is, that Israel is to be defeated, finally, completely, ultimately, and wiped out, annihilated. This is also, remember, the very message of the Arab world, that Israel is to be annihilated. So let me repeat, if that could be, if that were possible, that Israel could be annihilated, then God's word would have to be denied completely. For God has said, Yea, though I bring an end of all the nations on the face of the earth, Israel, I will not bring an end of thee. Because they are God's covenant people, and as we read this morning, his covenant with Israel is an absolute covenant, that they are going to possess that land which God has promised to them, finally, ultimately, and completely, and under the reign of the descendant of David, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, even our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the amazing thing is that the Jews one day are going to love him with all their hearts. What a day is coming. What a day is coming. May I also say this, the ability and power of God to save us eternally in Jesus Christ is directly involved and is deeply associated with his ability to succor Israel and Palestine. 
both land and people. For if God cannot fulfill his promises to Israel that they're going to possess this land as an eternal possession forever and ever and ever in his time, then by what promise can or what premise can we assume that he is able to save unto the uttermost all that come unto God by him? It's the same reasoning, you see. In other words, if God has promised the land of Israel to Israel and he cannot deliver that promise, then the promise to raise my body from the dead is a much more involved promise and I cannot depend on that either. You see? Oh, how carefully God makes sure that we take his promises and he says, my promises are yea and amen. There is no variableness with God. Paul says, yea, let God be true and every man a liar that he might be justified in his sayings. In other words, God is always ultimately true. And what we see today is just the beginning, just the beginning. God's promises are covenant promises. He made promises to Abraham in the beginning about the land of Israel and all those promises are going to be fulfilled. Isaac and through Jacob so that in the New Testament we read continually the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob shall bring it to pass. Why? Because the promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are just as inviolable are as the promises to the church of Jesus Christ. And so we see before us today this whole scene setting up, the two great camps developing. I don't know the day or the hour. I'm not going to be prophetic in that sense because the Lord Jesus says, no man knows the day or the hour when the Son of Man cometh. So there's no setting of days. But we're to look and to see these things and to, to see Israel in the position she is and that Jesus has said, when ye see Jerusalem surrounded completely by enemies, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. And Israel, for the first time in 2,000 years since the birth of Christ, remember, is now a nation again. And God, that was 1948. And the whole scene now is setting up with the two great camps developing of the northern confederacy and Russia on the one side and all the powers and the kings of the east and then on the other side is Tarshish or England and all the little lions in the United States and all of these in opposition. And as I have said time and again, remember this is not because the United States is holy or England is holy that we are backing up Israel. It has nothing to do with the fact that we believe that it is God's people we're supporting. I wish it were so, but it is not so. 
We are merely supporting Israel for exactly the reason that is put in the papers day after day, to keep the balance of power. For every SAM missile that Russia puts there, the United States says, we will balance it. We will give 50 jets. We will do this. We will do this for Israel. Why? Because the balance of power must be maintained. And it will not because we're a holy people that we're going to back up Israel, that Israel will be supported against Russia, but because we're thrust into the position where there's nothing else in all the world that we can do but stand on the other side. And even this last week, I thought to myself, how Satan is working even now through the problems that are existing in Russia with the Jewish people and how the rabbis in Brooklyn and the different places in the great Jewish league get together and how Satan is working to use that to change all Americans' minds and get them excited and get them against Israel. For remember that Satan knows his days are short and anything he can do to confuse the issue, he will do. We have seen this going on in this last week. How Satan has worked against Christ. If you would trace the history of our Lord Jesus down through the seed as it came, when Cain killed Abel, it was to stop the seed. Because God promised there'd be a seed that which should come that would crush the head of Satan. And he promised it in Genesis in the third chapter, 15th verse. Abel is killed and God doesn't let it stop him. Then Seth comes forth. And then the lineage begins all the way down. And time after time through history, we see the attempt to kill off the seed, to stop the coming of the Savior, to stop the coming of the Redeemer. For God makes sure we understand that in, in the Word, he says, for Satan knows the Word of God. He says, you say you believe in God, so do the devils and they tremble. Satan knows the Word of God. Satan knows there is a tremendous spiritual conflict in this universe which human beings by and large are not conscious of in the least bit. And earth is just the pawn in the whole thing. And that tremendous conflict is between Satan and between God. And God wants the souls of men and Satan, Jesus says, is the God of this world. He says, he looks at those who are lost, he says, you are of your father, the devil, whose deeds you do. And this tremendous spiritual conflict, which is beyond the concept of all men, is going on. And here we are going on as all we're supposed to do is to make money. And in a day, beloved, when this nation should be on its knees before God. In a time when this nation needs a real time of austerity. A time for solemn thought by both young and old. All we can do is worry about a 30-hour week and how little we can work and how much money we can make and whether we can get more and more and how many of the luxuries of life we possess and we can see the world going down the drain and we can see the great, great conflicts coming into being more and more so that men's hearts are failing them for fear for the things that they see coming upon the earth. 
And that's exactly what the Lord said. Blindness. Jesus says, whereas ye should be able to see, you're blind. Oh, to God that I could take every one of you and make you see the spiritual conflict so that you don't be duped by Satan himself and Satan will dupe you into believing he doesn't exist. That is his greatest job. And I hate to say it, but I believe there's many a born-again Christian that has doubts in their mind about Satan. But I want to tell you, you never would have needed a Savior unless Satan had existed. Because the Scripture is clear that sin came into the world through Satan. And so if Satan doesn't exist, then all the words of Jesus about his great conflict with Satan for 40 days and how he bore the temptations and how Satan tempted him continually to show himself forth for who he was. And Satan said to Jesus, if you'll bow down to me and forget your Father in heaven who brought you upon the face of this earth, if you'll forget him and you'll bow down to me, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. Does it surprise you that Jesus says Satan is the God of this world? When he was formed, he was a glorious angelic creature, Lucifer, to whom God gave all the worship of the angels. He was the crown prince until he decided that he would take all the worship of the angelic creation unto himself and God cast him out of heaven to earth and he became the prince of the powers of the air and he became the great demonic head, unfortunately, of an Adamic creation when Adam fell and man became subject to the lower power instead of to the higher power. And the conflict is great. And all we can think about as human beings is a 30-hour week. God help us. There's this verse that says that the time to scorn delights and to work laboriously. And if ever there was a time, beloved, it's now. Are we not fiddling while Rome burns? Hmm? What is the extent of your sacrifice or mine as we think of the coming of the Lord Jesus? We speak about it, we talk about it, but oh, beloved, it's so necessary that we come to grips with reality. This is the age of grace, wonderful age, the age of God's unmerited favor, the age when you can be saved, the age when you can find Christ as your personal Savior. He's given us this age of grace. The rapture of the church is that next thing that will take place, rapper, to be caught away, to be with Christ, which is far better. Then the great tribulation shall set in Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel, Israel's great tribulation shall come. And the judgment seat of Christ shall be going on in heaven for believers and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then at the end of that great tribulation of seven years, Israel's great trouble, when Russia and all of our cohorts shall descend upon Israel. 
And then the final great conflict at Armageddon, which is not just going to involve Russia, I hate to tell you, that's not just the final conflict. Russia's going to fall upon the hills and the mountains of Israel, and it will take Israel seven months, as I said last week, to bury the dead. That's what God says. Seven months. He says, I'll leave but a sixth part of you, Russia. That's all. Moscow and Tobolsk. That's what he says in Ezekiel 38. I'll leave but a sixth part of thee. But Revelation tells us that there will be sent out evil spirits which shall go to every nation upon the face of the earth. Demonic spirits shall control. And finally, the great culmination will be the battle of Armageddon. And that's not going to be between Russia and God. That's going to be between every nation upon the face of the earth. That's what God says. And every nation in Revelation 19 upon the face of the earth shall decide to war against God because they see what is happening, that everything is collapsing and falling apart. And the great judgment of God then is going to finally fall at Armageddon. And it's an amazing thing, you know, when he talks about those on the hills in Russia, on the hills of Israel and falling and dying. When he speaks about that day at Armageddon, he uses one verse to tell us what he's going to do. He says, and I will slay them by the sword of the spirit of my mouth. All the nations who come against him. Beloved, you and I are in this tremendous position that we hold today as Christians, born again. You really love Christ as your personal Savior. You belong to him. I look at you. Many of you I have seen testify for Christ that you've been saved, that you've been redeemed. Then you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. You believe that he's coming soon. He's given a great message to the church to be very, very careful. Jesus says there shall be a falling away in the church and the love of many shall wax cold. And if you feel your love waxing cold in the least bit for Jesus, remember that from this pulpit, I warned you, Jesus said this will happen to some in the church. The love of many shall wax cold. Paul says, false teachers shall come in unawares unto the church and shall teach them damnable heresies, teaching not to get married. Say, you've been hearing plenty about that lately in your newspapers, haven't you? Huh? You notice that? You hear more of that than you've ever heard before. Marriage is an antiquated institution, right? That's exactly what Timothy says. Paul talks to Timothy and he says, there shall be damnable heresies taught teaching you not to marry. You can look at that at 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 chapters. And so here we are as a church. The last church in the Bible, Laodicea. Say unto the church of Laodicea, you are neither hot nor cold. 
I would that you were hot or cold. This is Jesus speaking. But because you are lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. The love of many shall wax cold. I want to tell you real love is something that never dies. You who are married, if you're married and in love, you know what I mean. There may be variations in that love, but it is deep and it's wonderful and it's holy and a real love. Now I'm speaking on the lower sphere, in the physical sphere of a husband and wife. That kind of love never dies. Age doesn't change it. Age doesn't change romance. And the romance of the ages is that Jesus Christ has chosen you and chosen me to be his bride. His bride. And you'll always be his bride. You'll never be his wife. But he says, the church is my bride. And when we get down to the last portions of Revelation, it doesn't say anything, but the marriage of the bride is come. The marriage supper of the Lamb is come, and his bride hath made herself ready. Are you ready, beloved? How can I speak to your hearts this morning? Christ is coming soon. The whole world scene is ready. The great conflict of the ages between Satan and God is coming to a culmination, to a finish. It's to be finished. When I read in Revelation 19, 19th verse, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies. Notice the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against Christ that sat on the horse and against his army. The beast was taken, Antichrist and the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse which sword proceeded out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh, with flesh. All history is heading now toward that culmination. That great focal point which was predestined by God from the councils of eternity. You know, it's a most wonderful thing, isn't it, to know that your name and my name as Christians was written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundations of the world, it says. Before the worlds were made, God wrote my book in the Lamb's book of life, Martin Gian. I don't know whether he even remembered my last name wouldn't make much difference. 
It always strikes me in the scriptures that it's either John or Paul or Peter. No last names. He knoweth his sheep by name. I don't think he'll ever call me Pastor Dean. <laughs> I'm sure Jesus is going to call me Martin. Oh, that's so precious, isn't it? He knoweth his sheep by name. But to know that all is culminating and all we who have really trusted Jesus, who have sat at his feet and basked in his love, we who have believed his promises, that all Israel is to be saved, as we read this morning, that God is going to perform a mighty work, that the great forces of hell which descend upon Israel shall be defeated and God is going to set up a millennial kingdom of a thousand years in which Israel shall reign with him and we shall reign with him. Oh, when we see all these things coming and bearing upon us in great pressure at this present time so that men's hearts are failing them for fear and there's great complexities and perplexities amongst the nations so that they know not where to turn and the economy of the world, men know not where to go. Oh, beloved, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I don't know what we face as a people. We may be blasted off this earth by some hydrogen bomb. It's possible before Jesus comes. But if it happened, we'll be translated to be with Christ, which is far better. But every man that hath this hope in himself, knowing that Christ is coming knowing that every sign points to it, that there's been a falling away in the church, that Israel is coming back to that land, that Russia has descended into great power and might, the powers of the northern confederacy. When we see all these things, like history has never shown them before, and that for the first time since Christ's birth and death, Israel is a nation, and God ceased to deal with Israel except in chastisement until he began to get them back as a nation, and yet they're coming back in unbelief, and he has a lot to do with them yet to bring them to himself. When you see all these things, and you know your Lord is coming, beloved Christian, what are you doing? What are you doing? The history of man has been written before time. And the only reason man exists was because he was created in the image of God. And God was determined to get a people for his own name, as he said. And that was through Christ. That's all. No other reason. No other reason. Because as I said last week, it's all going to die. 
And Jesus says, when heaven and earth have passed away, we'll still be alive. And with him. Isn't that great? Boy, what a privilege. I don't know, God, you know, I often wonder why God ever, ever chose me. Don't you? Don't you? Why did God choose me? I'm sure you're all thinking that in your heart. Why did God choose me? When you look at yourself, you'd have to say there's nothing in myself I bring simply to thy cross. I cling. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Are you leaning on that name this morning? For there's no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. Are you saved? Do you know him? Let us pray. Now, Father, we would pray this morning that no one would leave without just that simple confession in Christ. Every eye closed, no one looking around. Lord, if ever there was a day for a man to say, Oh, Jesus, I really believe. I really believe that you're the Savior, that you're the Lord. Not just because I'm a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a Roman Catholic or whatever I've been, but because I believe in you, Lord, the person of Christ. Maybe there's someone this morning would like to say, Pastor, just pray for me. I'll just raise my hand up so you can see it and pray for me. No one looking around. And I won't call you forward, but just put your hand up. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. I really want Jesus in my heart this morning. Just put it up and then I'll see it and then take it down. Anywhere? Quickly. Just put it up. Yes, I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand in the balcony. Lord bless you. Anyone else? Put them up. Don't hesitate. Are you a mother, a dad, husband, wife, mother, father, grandfather, grandmother? Have you ever done it? Whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father, which is in heaven. Oh, put that hand up. Just say, Pastor Gian, pray for me. It isn't a matter of my sectarian belief. I just believe in Jesus this morning. Put the hand up high. Just let me see it and then take it down. Anywhere to join these have already put their hands up. Quickly, in the balcony, down here in the lower sanctuary, just as I close, quickly, quickly. God's really spoken to your heart this morning. Put that hand up. Just one moment. Are you saying, oh, I should raise it, I should do it? Then do it. Yes, I see that hand. Lord bless you. Quickly. I don't want to close if there are any others. Just put your hand up high. Quickly now, as we close. Anywhere at all. Now, gracious Father, we thank Thee for these who did raise their hands this morning for Christ, and we praise Thee for Thy goodness to us, Lord. Some, our Father, were older, some younger, 
But Lord, we remember that either way, it's so precious. You've said that we are to all come. We remember all your disciples were saved, not as babies, but they found thee. And yet we remember that you said, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And so, Lord, we're thankful for whatever way they come and whatever age they come to Jesus Christ. Put your hand upon them, Lord, and bless their lives. Fill them with thy Holy Spirit, and may they truly look to thee as Savior and Lord of their lives. In Christ's name. Amen.